welcome to a season of caring podcast where there's hope for living loving and caring with no regrets this is Raina Nysis your host and Karen Weaver your co-host today we talk about dying and we definitely had an amazing guest Maureen Cures who is an end-of-life coach and you know this time of year is a time that end of life is just on the top of mind we're coming on the three-year anniversary of my dad's passing and So I thought this was a really appropriate time to just talk about that transition that happens. It's not easy for any of us, but it's part of life. And being able to have these conversations make it easier. Not that it will ever be easy, but it makes it easier for us to really know and understand what our loved ones want. Dying, it's just an uncomfortable subject, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, like I often laugh about the fact that everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And certainly I have found that, especially the generation right before me, that it's difficult to have the conversation about dying or even being ill. And for some reason, there's some story behind if we talk about dying, then we're going to die, which we know is not true. I mean, We don't know what's going to happen to us from day to day, but certainly not talking about it is not something that's going to prevent it from happening. But I I thought Boreen was delightful, and I I thought everyone could use an end-of-life coach. So I think what she offers and contributes is definitely important. And I'm not I'm not sure how much people really are embracing that type of coaching, but I certainly can see the value in it. Well, I like the fact that she's talking about don't wait until you're there or don't wait until you even think you're close to being there. But start these conversations now. Start making sure that people know what you want and have the conversation regular and often, which we say that here as well. But I really liked how she just brought out the fact that at her age, she's talking to her 20-something kids and just making sure they know what she wants. And from being a child who had, you know, a good feeling of what my dad wanted, it really did make such a big difference for us Mm -hmm. in our journey. I can't imagine how much more helpful it would have been to have someone like Maureen helping to guide the conversation because her experience is just amazing when you think about how many families she's experienced as a nurse in an ICU that are facing this journey. They had the crisis and now they might be getting better. They might not be getting better. And, you know, really seeing that from the trenches, which was her heart of why she decided to take this next career path of going into mm-hmm, end-of-life mm-hmm. coaching. Yeah. And, and also, you know, I really thought it was wonderful how she was able to have such specific conversations with her parent in terms of, you know, specifically what did they want. And she gave scenarios. And, and I think that helps to make it real. I mean, we've talked about all these conversations that need to happen, the power of attorney or health directors or whatever, the wheel. There's so many things that need to be taken care of from a logistical standpoint, but the conversations are unique in themselves because Things change over time. And of course, what a person sort of says, this is what I want now. It's really important to understand that five years from now, 
that scenario may change for that person and that person may have a different perspective on how they wish you would handle something like that. So I really appreciated how she said it's not a one-time thing. It is something, like you said, we need to have the conversations over and over again or as often as we need to have them. And and I was curious, how, how did you navigate those conversations with your parents? So with my mom... I was too young to be a part of those. And I'm not sure how she and my dad had those conversations. I really don't know. And that I think was one of the things that stood out to me when we reached the end of her life. It was hard. It was so hard because it was not what we expected. And she was kind of going along just her average at home and then suddenly had the psychotic break that just changed everything. And within six weeks, she was gone. And it was not something that we really, they couldn't tell us what happened. They couldn't stop the looping that she was a part that she was in. And so it just was the end. I remember we spent a period of time in the hospital and talking to the doctors about what was happening and they just could not stop this loop. And he was said specifically, I think it's time for us to shift and look at at comfort care. This was really back when hospice was an option, but it was either hospice at home or a nursing home. And so there wasn't an option of having both. And so we made the choice of having mom go to a facility where they could help to care for her physical needs. We were just really unprepared. I, I know I was, I don't know exactly how everyone else felt, but it felt very surprising the kinds of decisions that we were having to make, realizing when she got to the point that she couldn't swallow medications, that that meant Mm. there weren't a lot of choices at that point that gave us one drug option. She had had so many different medications trying to stop that loop that she was in that had all of that had to stop once she left the hospital. And we were doing just pain meds, which didn't seem to have the same effect that the Mm -hmm. other things were. And eventually, even the pain meds she was on, she couldn't swallow. And so we couldn't give her those. So there was a liquid that they were giving, but it wasn't as strong as what she had had before. Mm -hmm. It was odd as her daughter to see that she was thirsty, but not to be able to give her water. And just so many of those things that we really struggled. I struggled a lot with understanding what was happening and how to help her. I think, you know, with my dad's passing, definitely more information. I was older. I did the research. I had the conversations. I understood a little bit more what was happening as systems were shutting down and things like that. But the conversations never happened with me around with my mom. Now with my dad at his diagnosis, we had some conversations and we knew paperwork was in order and those types of things. But I, I think each situation it's just tricky when they go in to have a regular procedure. It's like, do we have, do we, my sister asked, you know, we had, he had cancer removed and we knew he'd been diagnosed at that point, but he was doing pretty well. It was like, do I sign a DNR? Or do I not sign a DNR? You know, because he really could come out and be just as good as he was. And like, right. well, no, we want him to come out and be just as good as he was. You know, I mean, I think each situation can be tricky. And I did appreciate her examples because from my experience, that was the hardest part was, are we there? Are we at the point where we let go? Are we not there? How do we know? You know, it's just, it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I 
can so relate to what you're saying. I remember when my mom became ill, she she fainted. So that was the first event. And then they said she needed a pacemaker. And from there, everything just started snowballing because she actually had vomited in the emergency room and fluid had gotten into her lungs. And they were Mm -hmm. so focused on the pacemaker, they didn't even realize it. And the conversation eventually got to the point where she was on a ventilator. Wow. And we totally were unprepared because we had not had any of those conversations previously. Fortunately, they did have some paperwork in order, but it was more or less my husband and I had our paperwork together and we would go to them and we would say, this is what we've done. You may want to consider doing this. So they did have some paperwork together. And then with my dad, he was never able to really have any conversations. And then, of course, when he had his memory loss issues, it became more of a challenge at that point to even have conversations. But one thing I did know about both my parents, no matter what, they would prefer to be living than not living. So Mm -hmm. it was like, whatever it takes to keep us here, that's what they wanted to do. So Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that part of it. But but certainly it's it's wonderful if you can really have the conversation and people don't feel discomfort in having a conversation because it's talking about death and transition and, you know, things that people would rather not think about. I think it's important to have the conversations and to get over the discomfort, but I do think it's difficult in that making one statement doesn't really work. No. (laughs) You know, when your health is declining, it's so complicated. Mm. It's not a simple yes or no. You know, neither of my parents were ever needing to be on a ventilator at the stage where we'd have to say, no, we're not doing that. But yet each of them had reached a point where someone could say, yeah, put them on a ventilator and keep them alive. I think with a terminal illness, like what they had, we knew that the only goal we could reach was, will they be as good as they were before? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because we weren't Mm going to get any better. We weren't going to cure this. So my dad ended up passing away after having a blood clot and Mm. we had surgery. We, and, you know, we talked to the doctor and said, what's our options here? And the reason why we had surgery was the pain was excruciating. She's like, there's not Mm. really an option not to take that clot out. And so he went through surgery. He handled surgery very well. And his initial recovery really seemed pretty good. But eventually his heart and everything else was just not strong enough to give him the full recovery to get even back to where he was before the clot happened. Mm. It was surprising. Because it wasn't something that we saw coming, you know, he had heart failure, which he had an atrial valve leak. It shouldn't have been surprising, but it was that we were in that place having to look at that decision. But I remember at that point, so the cancer surgery was five years before that. So the blood clot surgery, my sister and I had the conversation, do we have a DNR now? And I'm like, yes, this is now's the time when we say, if they lose him on the table, they lose him on the table. Mm -hmm. So it was easier than I expected it to be to see the difference in those two things. But I think that's part of what, 
when you're having conversations with your family, you don't have the specific situation right there to right. talk about. So I love the scenarios that Maureen offered. Yes, yes. And that and I, I appreciate that as well. Because I think the scenarios also help the conversation when you talk about it sort of in terms of a story or you relate to something that happened to a family member and help them to make some tangible connection. I think it's easier to have the conversation um, with them so that they can kind of visualize what you're saying and what it really means. But certainly it's not an easy course to navigate. So that's why I said everyone could use an end-of-life coach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Most people don't know what they don't know, and they right. don't know what they don't need. So I think that that's probably the the challenging piece of that is because it's hard for people to really understand how important it is. But if you really look at death as really being a part of life instead of something that's separate and something that's going to take us away from what we know, I think it makes a difference. I think it's a little easier if you are navigating as a person of faith, but certainly I've met plenty of persons who are people of faith who still struggle with having the conversation about death and dying. Yeah, I think we just, we know what here is like. And what you know is always more comfortable than what you don't know. And right. so I think it's difficult to look at what we don't know and, and embrace it. But mm -hmm. it does help definitely to have a different perspective and to realize that nobody gets out of here alive. That's just the way it is. So, <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, I did my. like pre-offer that she had given to us the conversation starters. She had seven conversation starters. And one of the things mm -hmm. that I thought was interesting is who to have the conversation with. Because sometimes mm. I think we're pretty narrow. Right. And she was commenting when I interviewed her to talk to your doctor about it. And I thought, I don't know that my doctor even knows me, much less he would remember. But I think it does help to have those conversations because that person, even if he's not treating you, he could be talking to your family members as well. So being able to give that information or when she said she had to stand up to the surgeon five different times to refuse the surgery. Mm -hmm. That was amazing, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I can totally see that happening. So doctor was one of them. She talked about parents. I don't have parents left, but I think for my husband, if something happened to him, I'm the one making the decisions. His mom needs to know what his desires are so that she's not questioning me. So right. we can have that common ground to be able to support each other in it and not find that fracture in the family. Obviously, a spouse, adult children also. Mm. Yes. You know, many times we're thinking about wanting to know what our parents want, our aging parents. But again, do our kids know what we want? Do our kids understand right. so that when a spouse is having to make that decision, they can feel supportive. Extended family, you know, you have people you're very close to, aunts and uncles, maybe, or even other family members or people who are like family to you, just mm -hmm. making sure mm -hmm. that everybody's on the same page. I can see where that can be really helpful. So listeners, remember that you can access Maureen's free resource at startthetalknow.com. That's startthetalknow.com. 
it's just a simple little guide to give you some ideas of how to start those conversations with those different people in your life, whether it be for you personally or for the person you're caring for. I think it can be really helpful. So you can download that free resource and that would be um, really helpful to you, I think, listeners. But we also want to kind of stop and think, I don't know, what what would we have done differently? You've lost your mom. It sounds like it was really difficult to get anybody to talk about what was happening to her. So what, right. what would you have done differently? Well, I think I've learned so much, you know, over the journey. I think maybe just the way I would have approached having the conversation. So maybe getting help, getting some support so that I could be more prepared to have the conversation. I mean, I tell clients all the time that when you prepare for a conversation, it's always going to be a better conversation than one that you just have. And so I I would say that prep would be one of the things I would think about and then maybe have a conversation with someone else who could give me some guidance or, or, or tips about how to best have the conversation, when to have the conversation, those type of things. And to maybe also have a conversation about thinking through what do I anticipate will be some of the um, objections or pushback from my parents that maybe I can help to um, think through ahead of time so that they can make it a, a better conversation. The other thing I, I've I've done is I, I've tried to model for my children. So trying to have conversations with them and, you know, I'm learning from my experiences with my parents, how to better support my children as well. But certainly I would say preparation would probably be the the number one factor. And what about you? I think for me, it would be talking about it more often. I think it's interesting with a degenerative disease like my dad's, everything seems fine until it's not, right? (laughs) Yes. I don't really remember, you know, the point in which my dad forgot my mom. I don't really remember the last day my dad said my name until the very last week of his life. So those things creep up on you. Mm-hmm. And I had people say to us after his passing, oh, I'm sure you have everything in order. You know exactly what he wants. Like, no, no, we didn't. We had things in order, but we didn't have, who do you want to do your funeral? Well, I couldn't mm-hmm. ask him that because by the time <laughs> we were even thinking about his funeral, he couldn't talk about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we were able to model for him what he did for my mom. And that was something that I think gave us comfort, but we knew that he, one thing that came up for us that really made us stop and scratch our heads a little bit was my dad had talked multiple times about moving where my mom was buried. My dad had a family cemetery in a small town where his family was all buried. And he and my mom had purchased plots in town near where they lived And of course, my mom was buried there. She had been gone 20 years by the time my dad passed away. So she'd been there for a really long time. But he had literally, when he was still able to, had conversations about moving her and wanting to be buried in Don, Missouri. 
So when it came down to it, that was something I struggled with a little bit. Mm. And finally, as my sister and I talked through it and we talked with my aunt about it, we both came to the conclusion, well, if he had really wanted to do that, he could have done that and he didn't. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and leave it like it is. The headstone was there, all of those things. And let's go ahead and bury him there by mom. And that's where they are. But it was one of those things that we didn't really know how serious he was. He brought it up multiple times. Mm-hmm. And when I brought it up to my sister, she's like, oh yeah, he did mention that to me. And my aunt, oh yeah, we definitely had a conversation about that. So we all had talked about it with him at different times, but he had never done anything about it. So it made me kind of step back and think, did he really want to, or was it just an idea that he had? You know, it just kind of left some questions that I wish I had thought about it again when he could Mm -hmm. still talk to me about it, but Mm -hmm. I really hadn't thought about it. And the next thing you know, we're talking about his funeral and then it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. my mom also, we were able to donate her brain to research for Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And we weren't able to do that with my dad because of the timing of him passing much quicker than we expected him to. But I know that he really was involved in research and that was something he would have liked if we could have made it happen. I don't think he was disappointed that we didn't make it happen. But I think things like that are great conversations for family members as well to really understand how important that is to them and to know that you have the contacts in place. Mm -hmm. We had talked about it and had thought about it years before we actually were at that point. So when we reached that point, then it was like, oh, we don't even have a phone number to call real quickly. And again, you know, he was on hospice on Friday and gone by early Monday morning. So there just wasn't a lot of opportunity there. We already had things arranged for my mom because of the period of time that we had that we knew we were losing Mm -hmm. her. So Mm -hmm. I think those are some things I would do differently is just talk more and maybe ask more questions about some of the things when things are mentioned. <laughs> know that that's right, right. and could bring a question later. So make sure you tie Absolutely. that up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. Good points for sure. So listeners, I hope that our conversation on dying today has been one that gets you thinking. I think that's the key is just to be able to Spend some time in the discomfort and really think about the things you might not know and make sure that you find the answers to those things, both for yourself and for your loved ones. I think Maureen said it's a gift to be able to give people the understanding of the knowledge that they need to make the best decisions for you. And so we want to make sure that we challenge you to do that. So thank you, Karen, for a good conversation today. Thank you. Listeners, just a reminder, this season of Caring Podcast is created for the encouragement of family caregivers. If you have legal, financial, or medical questions, please consult your local professionals and take heart in your season of caring.